0: Revelation 21, we're going to pick up in verse 22. This is really the third section of this. what, what we started in 21 and uh, runs down through the first part of chapter 22. John showing us this is heaven. Here it is. So we're going to pick up at 22 this morning. This is what John writes. John says, I and I saw... No temple in the city. For its temple is the Lord God, the Almighty, and the Lamb. And the city has no need of sun or moon to shine in it, for the glory of God gives it light. And its lamp is the Lamb. By its light will the nations walk and the kings of the earth will bring their glory into it. And its gates will never be shut by day. There will be no night there. They will bring into it the glory and honor of the nations. But nothing unclean will ever enter it. Nor anyone who does what is detestable are false, but only those who are written in the Lamb's book of life. Only those who are written in the Lamb's book of life. You remember the children's song, Do Lord? Remember that? we probably all learned it at some point if we attended Bible school or something, Sunday school, you know, do Lord, oh do Lord, oh do, you remember how that goes? You remember how it starts? I have a home in glory land. Y'all know it, y'all remember it. That's right, I have a home in glory land that outshines the sun, right? It outshines the sun and it goes you know do lord do lord and then it's you know I took Jesus as my savior what yeah there you go y'all remember this you remember the last part of that little children's song I read about it in the book of revelation did you know that you remember that part yeah, I have a home in glory land that outshines the sun. I read about it in the book of Revelation. You read it too. That's how it ends. You read it too. Well, guess what? We've been reading it, haven't we? And we've been trying to understand it. John has been talking to us and, and showing us heaven in such a way. And he's trying to do it because it's so glorious. There's no language that can describe it. And so he's trying to... Show us, God's revealing this through the pen of the Apostle John. And he's trying, and we're trying to understand it. We're trying to wrestle with so much of the symbolism that's here and so much of the language that's here. And it's almost as if John's pulling everything, going all the way back into the Old Testament and pulling everything together at the end of this book. And it's like he's saying, this is the culmination of it all. This is the completion of what God started. When did he start it? All the way back in Genesis 1.1. In the beginning, God created the heavens and the earth. And here comes the culmination of it all. Here comes the completion of it all. Last week when we were looking at that section, I I, I shared with you a, a, a quote from Matthew Poole. Matthew Poole was an old Puritan commentator. And Matthew Poole was a fabulous writer. And Matthew Poole, working through this whole section, trying to identify this and that and... He finally just, I I could almost see him as he was writing. I didn't have computers back in that day. He's probably writing, you know, with a pen and he's sitting there. I could probably almost just see him at his desk, just just going, finally going, oh, I don't know. It's just the most glorious place. Because that's what he says. He says, you can look at all this stuff and you can try to figure it out what you want. If you like, and we try to do that. But he just says, it is a most glorious place. It is a place full of glory, not your glory and not my glory, but the glory of God. It is a place full of glory, the glory of God. And, John says, "And the lamb, let's don't forget the lamb. It's full of the glory of God and the Lamb. I want us to do something here just, just real quick. I want you to keep your finger in Revelation 21. I want you to go to the book of Exodus. I want you to go to the book of Exodus. And I want to just kind of briefly look at this idea of glory. And Exodus is full of it. In fact, glory appears like 11 times in the book of Exodus. And This event, the Exodus event of God redeeming his people, pulling them out of the land of Egypt. And if you remember the history there, they're enslaved, they've been there. You get to the end of the book of Genesis and, and Joseph has ended up in Egypt. He saved them, Jacob is there. and So they're there and then eventually there's a Pharaoh. The Pharaoh dies and then the Pharaoh that didn't know Joseph comes to power enslaves the people and they're enslaved. They cry out to God and God raises up Moses to deliver them. In Exodus chapter 16, in Exodus chapter 16, they have been, they're out and they're hungry and they're complaining and this is something that goes on and on and on. And it says in verse 1, they set out from Elam and all the congregation of the people of Israel came to the wilderness of sin, which is between Elam and Sinai. So they're, they're, they're beginning this wilderness journey. Look down at verse 4. Then the Lord said to Moses, Behold, I am about to rain bread from heaven for you, and the people shall go out and gather a day's portion every day, that I may test them, whether they will walk in my law or not. And on the sixth day, when they prepare what they bring, it will be twice as much as they gather daily. Why? Because the seventh day was the Sabbath day. You weren't going to do it. They were to gather twice as much on the sixth day. So they're complaining. God says, Moses, this is what I'm going to do. I'm going to send bread. I'm going to send manna going to send manna from heaven then if you look at uh, continue there in verse six so moses and aaron said to all the people of israel at evening you shall know you shall know that it was the lord who brought you out of the land of egypt you're going to know it was him and in the morning you shall see the what you're going to see the glory of the lord because he has heard your grumbling against the lord for what are we that you grumble against us? And Moses when the Lord, and Moses said, when the Lord gives you in the evening meat to eat in the morning, bread to, to, to the full, because the Lord has heard your grumbling, that you grumble against Him. What are we? Your grumbling is not against us, but it's against the Lord. You're going to see the glory of God. Why? Because He's going to shower you with bread. He's going to give you meat. You're complaining and you're grumbling against Him, but you're going to see His glory. You see that? So when they saw that bread and that meat, there was in a sense in which they were seeing something of the glory of God in that. They were seeing something of the glory of God in that. Isn't it interesting that Jesus later will say, I am the what? Referencing, coming, pulling straight from this. I am the bread of life. This is pointing to Christ. The ultimate Redeemer. The ultimate salvation. So they see the glory there. Alright? Then... If you look at chapter 24 of Exodus, go over to chapter 24. We see this glory again. Exodus chapter 24. This covenant that God's made with the people is confirmed, it's 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 put in place. And then you remember this in Exodus. Chapter 24, verse 15. Then Moses went up on the mountain, and the cloud covered the mountain. Remember this? We've looked at this before. And the, what? You see it? And the glory of the Lord dwelt on the mountain. It dwelt on Mount Sinai. And the cloud covered it six days, and on the seventh day he called to Moses out of the midst of the cloud. Now the appearance of the glory of the Lord was like a devouring fire on the top of the mountain. In the sight of the people of Israel, Moses entered the cloud and went up on the mountain, and Moses was on the mountain 40 days and 40 nights. There's the glory of God. It's like this devouring fire. Okay? So, we see it there. Look at chapter 29, Exodus chapter 29. There's the consecration of the priest and what they're doing. They're giving their instructions and this is what they were to do. This is how they were to conduct themselves and so forth. Look at verse 43. Exodus 29, verse 43. There I will meet with the people of Israel and it shall be sanctified by my what? See it? I'm going to meet with them and it's going to be sanctified by my glory. It's going to be confirmed. How? By my glory that's how it's going to be sanctified that's how it's going to be these these priests they're going to be set apart I'm going to meet with them and you're going to be set apart by my glory look at chapter 33 you start to get the point that Exodus is really a glory book isn't it the glory of God look at Exodus 33 verse 17 And the Lord said to Moses this very thing that you have spoken I will do For you have found favor in my sight, and I know you by name. And Moses said, please show me your what? Glory. I want to see your glory. Hadn't God already told him? Look, you're going to see my glory. You're going to see it the bread. You're going to see it on the mountain. And Moses is saying, I want to see your glory. And he said, I will make all my goodness pass before you and proclaim Uh, before you my name and the lord i will be gracious to whom i will be gracious and i will show mercy on whom i will show mercy the sovereignty of god but he said you cannot see my face for man shall not see me and live and the lord said behold there is a place by me where you shall stand in the rock or on the rock and while my glory passes by i will put you in a cleft of the rock and i will cover you with my hand until i have passed by you can't see my glory moses and all Moses could see, as one writer said, is just a reflection of a reflection of a reflection. And what happened? His face shining. You remember when he comes down later in the chapter. He comes down, and, and uh, there in verse twenty-nine, Moses comes down from the Mount Sinai with two tablets of the testimony in his hand. As he came down from the mountain, Moses did not know that his skin, that the skin of his face, shone because he had been talking with God. Look again a little later, it says it shone and they were afraid to come near him. Verse 33, and when Moses had finished speaking with them, what did he do? He put a veil over his face. It's interesting that Paul picks up on this when he's writing to the Corinthians in 2 Corinthians 3. And he takes this veiled imagery and he uses it to show how this glory, this reflection of a reflection of a reflection, this glory was fading on Moses' face. And Paul says, that's just like the Old Covenant. It's fading in glory. Because it's not the final word. It's the New Covenant in Christ that's the final word. So it's fading. He's veiled. That glory is veiled. The glory fades. Then there's Exodus 40. Exodus 40. The tabernacle's finished. Very end of the book of Exodus. Exodus 40, verse 34. Then the cloud covered the tent of meeting. Remember the cloud over Sinai? Then the cloud covered the tent of meeting. And the what? The glory of the Lord filled the tabernacle. And Moses was not able to enter into the tent of meeting because the cloud settled on it. And the glory of the Lord filled the tabernacle. Later on when the temples built, Solomon's temples built, 1 Kings 8, we read about it in 2 Chronicles. The same thing's going to happen when the temple's con- when the, when it's completed. The glory of God comes down and feels the temple. It feels the temple. This glory, Moses' face is veiled. The people are afraid. This glory that Moses saw. And again, it wasn't the full glory of God. He couldn't see it. No man can see me, God says, and what and live. So this glory. That was seen in the bread, this glory that was seen in the cloud in Mount Sinai, this glory, the presence of God again, when it fills the tabernacle and it fills the temple, this glory, in a sense, is shielded because they couldn't rush into the Holy of Holies. If they did, when the glory of God was there, they would die. You remember when he comes down on the mountain and he tells Moses, Don't let them touch the mountain because if they touch the mountain, they're going to what? They're going to die. It's shielded, in a sense, in the temple, in the the, 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 uh, tabernacle, in the temple. But then, I want you to go, let's make our way to the New Testament. Because then we get to the New Covenant. We get to the New Covenant, and we get to Mark chapter 9. Something very interesting happens in Mark chapter 9. Look at Mark 9. In Mark chapter 9 verse 1, this is what we read. And he said to them, truly I say to you, there are some standing here who will not taste death until they see the kingdom of God after it has come with power. Then verse 2, and after six days, Jesus took with him Peter and James and John, sort of the inner circle, and he led them up to a high mountain. They go up on a mountain, they're by themselves, and he was transfigured before them. Transfigured, this is known as the transfiguration of Christ. What exactly does it mean? What exactly was happening? Well, we're given this description, and his clothes became radiant, intensely white, as no one on earth could bleach them. And there appeared to them Elijah with Moses and they were talking with Jesus. Have no idea what they were saying. When you have liked to have been eavesdropping on that conversation. And Peter said to Jesus, "Rabbi, it's good that we're here. <laughs> this is great. This is wonderful. Man, it's good that we're here. Hey, I tell you what. Let's make three monuments to this. Let's dedicate this occasion. Let's make three tents, one for you, one for Moses, and one for Elijah. For he did not know what to say, for they were terrified. He's scared to death. So what's happening? What's happening is a momentary, momentary shining through of the glory of Christ. That same glory that we were just reading about in Exodus. A momentary shining through this glory, the deity of Christ, changed in form. Momentarily. Momentarily, they're seeing it. Still veiled. Still veiled. You remember Wesley's Christmas hymn that we sing at Christmas? I made mention to this at Christmas. You remember that? Uh, veiled in flesh, the Godhead sees. We saw it, and we're going to see in just a little bit John when he talks about how he came, he lived among us, and we saw his glory. We're going to see for John what that means and how that connects to heaven in just a second, at least how I think he's using it. But here it is, this again, this veiled glory, seeing it, they're seeing it momentarily. It wasn't the full glory of God because they would have been killed instantly. And Peter opens his mouth and says, wow, this is great, this is wonderful. Hey, well, let's make some stuff. Up. Let's let's do some stuff here and dedicate. And Jesus is, you know, just probably like Peter. You still, you don't get it, do you? It's not about building monuments. I don't require sacrifice. God said in the old covenant. What do I want? I want your heart. I want your heart. Nevertheless, here it is. This this veiled in flesh Godhead. See, all right. So, what about heaven? Right. What about heaven? What is John going to tell us about the connection between glory and heaven? Something very interesting, I think, what he reveals in this. What he's going to tell us, there's three things here as we work through this passage. And we've been looking at what is heaven, right? I mean, that's been the question. What did we see in the first place in the very first opening of this section There in the first eight verses of chapter 21, what do we see? It's new. New heavens, new earth. It's new. Holy city, new Jerusalem. And then what did we see last week in that passage? It's complete. There is the complete people of God there. It's a completed place. It's perfect. What is it today that we see in this? It's glory. It's full of glory. What about that glory? Well, what he's going to do is, uh, I think, very interesting here, is, is he's going to talk about three things that aren't there. He's going to say, look, there's three things that aren't going to be there. But they've been replaced by something else. Those three things that if you were to lay out a city, you would think, if I'm laying out the perfect city, I'm going to have these things. But they're not there. But they've been replaced with something else. Well, what's the first one that he sees? This is the first thing that he sees, verse 22. He says, and I saw no temple. So in the vision of the city that he sees, this heavenly Jerusalem, I saw no temple. There was no temple in the city. Ancient cities had temples. They were all built around temples. And usually the temples would be placed, and some of them had many temples, uh, Acts chapter 17, Paul strolls into Athens and he goes up on the area of and there it is on this big Acropolis, this hill that's there. And he's there and there's all these shrines, these temples to all these gods. And he sees one over there, it says to the unknown God. And he says, let me tell you about the unknown God and he preaches the gospel to him. In these ancient cities, they were usually built around these temples. Later on in the book of Acts, Paul's going to go to Ephesus. And he's going to get in trouble because he's preaching the gospel and he's preaching against the false gods. He's preaching against these pagan temples. And there were people who made money in connection with these pagan temples. And there was one who made all these little idols connected with this temple to a goddess, Artemis. And he's upset and he he gets all over and he says, look, we got to run this guy out of town. He's destroying our business. Temple and, and the seven churches in the beginning of the book of Revelation and those cities central to those cities were temples. So in ancient cities, the temple was centered. The temple was was sort of the center part of the city in a, in, in, a, in a way. It's sort of like today, especially when you get into rural areas and so forth. You get around most of the towns, old towns, there's a court, right? There's a courthouse, and there's usually a square. And what's the center of that? It's the courthouse, right? Well, that would be like the temple, the center of the city. So if you were going to lay out the perfect city, John's already described this, and he's already talked about walls, right? Right? He's already talked about some things that you would have in a, if you were going to lay out the perfect city. But you would certainly have a temple. So it's strange that he says, I did not see a temple in this city. Jerusalem, the center of Jerusalem, was what? The temple. Yet in this new Jerusalem, this heavenly city, there's no temple. But again, there is a temple, right? This is John mixing these metaphors. This is John. This is apocalyptic literature again. I didn't see a temple in the city, for its temple is the Lord God. And listen to this description that he gives. It is the Lord God, the Almighty One, and the Lamb. I'll bring this up here in just a little bit. But I'll just raise it right now. Why not the the lion? Why, why would he say in this, talking about glory and the glory of the city, and then he's going to talk about nations and kings coming? Wouldn't you think the image of a lion would be a little more appropriate? Not for John, because there's something being communicated here. We'll see you in just a second. So, the Lord God, the Almighty, and the Lamb... The lamb has been central throughout the book of Revelation, right? He's the lamb that was slain. Now notice verse 23. Also, this is something else that's missing here. This is something else that's missing. And the city had no need of sun or moon to shine on it. Went back to creation. What was created to rule the day? Sun. What was created to rule the night? Moon. Two great lights, right? And creation. And remember, this is before sin. So we can't say, well, the sun and the moon came about after. No, this is before. It's perfect. And so what he does is he creates the sun to rule the day, the moon to rule the night. Yet here in this city, there's no need of sun or moon. It doesn't need sun or moon to shine on it, on this city. Why? For the glory of God gives it light. Remember the glory of Exodus? Remember that glory? Remember that glory that's shining through in the transfiguration? It's the glory of God that's giving it light. And here it comes again. Notice this. And its lamp, its light, is the Lamb. He is the light. He is the temple. He is the light. He is the light. light. There's something interesting that he's doing. No temple. But yet again, God's the temple. And the Lamb is the temple. No light. Yet again, the glory of God is the light. And the Lamb is the lamp. The Lamb is its light. The glory of God. This is central. The Lamb and the glory of God is central to what he's seeing right here in um, in giving us this, this description of the of what's going on. Well, notice he goes on and he says this about this. And he says this about the city and verse 24 about this light. By its light will the nations walk and the kings of the earth will bring their glory into it. It's not like, don't don't picture this. Well, two things. One, some have said, well, this obviously is a rebuilt temple during the millennium. And that this temple is hovering above the earth. And it's obvious that we've gone back to the millennium. We're not talking about heaven. Because these kings are coming and going, and these nations are these unbelieving kings. I don't think that's in the text at all. I don't think that there's any indication of that's what's going on here at all. He's seeing heaven. And what he's seeing here is the kings of the earth. It's not that they're bringing their glory to add to God's glory. As if God's glory needs the glory of these kings and these nations to make it complete. No, they're bringing their glory in submission to his glory. They're coming to worship him because their glory is not enough. You see, right now, the glory of the nations, the nations think their glory is enough, don't they? We can solve anything. We can conquer anything. We can come up with a vaccine in months and solve this problem, right? We can come up with this, we can come up with that, and so the glory of the nations, the glory of these the unbelieving nations now, they think their glory is it. It's nothing in comparison to the glory of heaven. I don't think these are unbelievers. I think these are believers. I think, that, again, this is a way of talking about the redeemed, God's redeemed. They're going to come. They're going to bring their glory in submission to His glory. And then notice verse 25. And its gates will never be shut by day. Not, not. Never, ever, ever will they be shut by day. There will be no night there. Why? The glory of God's there. The Lamb's there. His presence is there. So these gates will never be shut. Why would you shut gates at night in a city to keep out bad people? I mean, you wouldn't go to sleep and say, "Ah, oh, the enemies are all around us." Hey, leave the gates open, and we'll sleep in. It. No, you're going to close the gates. You're going you're to try. You're going to post guard. There are no guards here. These gates will never be shut. Never be shut. Why? Because there's no need of protection. God's there. His glory's there. And again, verse 26, they will bring into it the glory and honor of the nations. I think it's just a way of saying they're going to come and this, there's going to be the submission to the glory of God. This is what we will do as His redeemed people. It's not going to be about our glory. It's going to be about His glory. Heaven is not about me. Heaven is about the glory of God. And I've been invited... To see it. Think about that. I've been invited to see it. But you remember Exodus? It was always veiled, wasn't it? It's shielded in the tabernacle, it's shielded in the temple. Even with the Lord Jesus Christ, it's veiled in flesh, right? In heaven? There is no veil. I will see the full glory of God and the Lamb and live. That's the glory. It's not about me, it's about Him. It's about his glory. Well, notice the last thing that he says is not there, verse 27. Again, it's put in a strong negation, but nothing, not not, nothing. There absolutely nothing. Absolutely this will not be there. There will not be anything unclean will enter it, nor anyone who does what is detestable or false. There is not going to be any sin. There will not be any unbelievers. There will not be any evil. There will not be any effects of sin. We've already seen this. No more pain, no more sorrow, no more tears, right? When He opened this up and He talked about the new heaven and the new earth and He said there is no more sea. There's no more sin, no more evil, no more chaos. It won't even be allowed there. There's no possible way that it will be in the presence of God. In heaven. It's not going to be there. It's strong language that he uses here. It's just not going to be there. Is it here? Yeah, we live with it every day, don't we? But it's not going to be there. But notice what it's replaced with again. But nothing unclean will enter it, nor anyone who does what is detestable or false. But then who will be there? But only those who are written in the Lamb's book of life. We've seen this. We've traced this book before, right? Going all the way back into the Old Covenant. Going all the way back It's this book, its roots in the Old Testament. Who's in the Lamb's book of life? Who is in this book? It's those who are in Christ. Those who have turned from their sin and put their faith and trust in Christ. It's those who have overcome by the blood of the Lamb. It's believers. They're in the Lamb's book of life. We've already seen in the judgment. There are other books that are opened. Those other books evidently seem to be the evidence against the unbeliever. Every thought, every word, every idol, everything, every sin, every possible motive of the heart, everything. Evidently is contained in those books and it's evidence against the unbeliever. God will miss nothing. You think you can hide your sin from God? He misses nothing. Nothing. Every thought, every desire, he misses nothing. And if you're in those books, you're not in heaven. But if you've come to Christ and you've turned to him, and you trust Him, you are in the Lamb's book of life. You see, that's the book of believers. And when that book is opened, it's called the Lamb's book for a reason. Right? Because in that book, if you're in that book, you are hidden away in Christ. And your sins are forgiven in Him. It's His book. If you're in that book, you're okay. You see, no temple. Yet again, God's the temple, but not just God, but and the Lamb is His temple. See the Lamb there? No light. Okay? No sun, no moon, no, no need for that. Why? Because the glory of God illumines it. And the lamp is Who? The Lamb. No temple replaced by Lamb. No light replaced by Lamb. You see it? No unbelievers. No sin replaced by Lamb. Replaced by Lamb. Replaced by those who believed in the Lamb. Replaced. That's who's going to be there. There. Central to this is the Lamb. Central to the book of Revelation is the Lamb. When this book opens, when this book started all the way back in chapter five, what do we see? We see who emerges. He's described as a lion and a lamb, but then when he emerges to take the scroll, who is it that he, how does John describe him? He describes him as a what? A lamb. I saw a lamb standing there. And then you walk through, and every now and then you see this lamb show up. This lamb that was slain. How do they overcome? They overcome by the blood of the lamb. All through the book of Revelation, central to this, is this lamb. Why a lamb? Why glory in a lamb? We would think, man, if you want a glory, let's have a lion, let's have a roaring king of the jungle. And yet, no, what we see in this very last book of the New Testament, the very last book of the Bible, at the culmination of everything, at the completion of everything, central to it, is a lamb. I think there's something behind this in John's theology about the glory of Christ. Go to John chapter 1. John chapter 1. I just find this interesting. You trace this through John. John chapter 1, verse 14. John 1, verse 14, And the Word became flesh and dwelt among us, tabernacled among us, lived among us. And we have seen His what? We've seen His glory. Was John at the transfiguration? Yeah. Is that what he's referencing? Maybe. Maybe. But notice what he says. We have seen his glory. Glory is of the only Son from the Father, full of grace and truth. Then you start to trace this through the book of John. Look over at chapter 2. This is our Lord. The wedding of Canaan. Jesus, chapter 2, verse 4. And Jesus said to her, Woman, what does this have to do with me? Remember this statement? My hour has not yet come. What is he referencing? My hour has not yet come. Chapter 7, verse 6, same thing. My hour has not yet come. It's not here. It's not time. And uh, you see that in verse 6. You see it in chapter 7. You see it there in verse 8. My time has not yet fully come. You see it in chapter 7, verse 30. Because his hour had not yet come. You see it in chapter 8, verse 20. Because His hour had not yet come. This phrase over and over and over in the beginning of the book of John. He lived among us and we saw His glory. His hour has not yet come. And then you get to chapter 12 in which John's dealing with the last week of Christ's life. And you see Jesus saying this. Chapter 12, verse 20. Now among those who went up to worship at the feast were some Greeks. So these came to Philip, who was from Bethsaida in Galilee, and asked him, Sir, we wish to see Jesus. Philip went and told Andrew. And Andrew and Philip went and told Jesus. And Jesus answered them, You see this? The hour has come. Not yet. Not yet. Not yet. Not yet. Over that three year period. Now, the hour's come. The hour's come for what, John? The hour has come for the Son of Man to be what? You thinking ahead? If you're thinking just resurrection and ascension, you're missing something essential. Does it include resurrection and ascension? Yes. Does it include him returning back to the glory of heaven? Yes. But how did he get there? Through the cross. It's time for the Son of Man to be glorified. In John's mind, this doxa, this glory, I think, and this is sort of a sub-theme of John here, and I think it carries over into the book of Revelation. The glory of Christ is seen in His crucifixion, His death on a cross, His burial, His resurrection and His ascension back into heaven. It is all of that. The glory of Christ is seen in the Lamb that was slain before the foundation of the world. That's the glory of Christ. You see why now Lamb is used? What did you sacrifice in the Old Covenant? Lambs. We never read of them capturing a lion and offering it on the altar, do we? But they were to bring a lamb without spot, without blemish, right? Pointing to the sinlessness of our Lord Jesus Christ without spot, lived a perfect life. He didn't die for His own sins. He didn't die for His own sins. He died for our sins. He died for our sins. You see, the book of Revelation is going to end with this. Blessed are those, in the last part of the book of Revelation, blessed are those who wash their robes. Wash their robes in what? The blood of the Lamb. They overcame how? The blood of the Lamb. Central to the glory of heaven is the Lamb that was slain. For all eternity. For all eternity. The Lamb that was slain. You see, in bringing this to completion like this, I think what God is trying to show us is that His purposes, His plan, and His purposes from the very beginning will only be accomplished through the death, burial, and resurrection of Christ. That's central. Miss that? You miss heaven. Miss that? You miss heaven. Miss Christ? Miss the gospel? Continue on in your whatever you think you're doing I don't know what, what, what are you thinking I don't know I mean here it is the invitation is going to be here too at the end come if you're thirsty come the invitation at the end of the close of this book at the close of the, of, of the whole Bible it's come 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 what in the world are you doing why won't you come why would you turn away why would you turn away from this glory? What's your alternative? The glory of this world that's passing, that's fading, that destroys and kills and robs you? Come to Christ. You know what this is? This is our home. Not this. This is our home. Turn to Christ. The one who was crucified for your sins and put your faith and trust in Him. You'll be in the book. If you're in the book, you're in the presence of glory for all eternity. Let's pray together.